0: The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from your community, from your fellow Israelites. He's the one you must listen to. That's exactly what you requested from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, I can't listen to the Lord my God's voice anymore or look at this great fire any longer. I don't want to die. The Lord said to me, what they've said is right i'll raise up a prophet for them from among their fellow israelites one just like you i'll put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything i command him i myself will hold accountable anyone who doesn't listen to my words which that prophet will speak in my name however Any prophet who arrogantly speaks a word in my name that I haven't commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: I hear that text about how the people of God said, we're too close to you. You're too big for us to look at. It's straining our eyes. We can't stand to be this close to the fire anymore. We can't bear to look at you. And God said, it's good. I'll send someone to speak to you on my behalf. But at the same time, as the people said, we need a little bit more distance. This is too much for us. At the same time, don't you feel the longing When you hear the end of that passage, don't you feel the longing to have those who speak arrogantly out of their own desires, without any perspective on what is right or good or godly, to have some accountability? I learned from one of my teachers that it was the people who asked God for the law. It was the people who asked God for the law. What was given at first was so direct, so simple, and so heartrending. A covenant. How about this, y'all? I'll be yours and you'll be mine. I'll be yours and you'll be mine. The people journeyed with that covenant only so far before they said, yes, but how? How can we trust it? How can we make it visible? How can we make it part of our daily practice? How can we hold this in our lives full of simple, ordinary things? How can we hold a gift so big and so beautiful? As I'll love you and you'll love me, I'll be yours and you'll be mine. And so the people asked God for the law. And the law said, okay. And God said, okay, I'll give you a couple of laws. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And people said, can you break it down? So that went from one and another like it to 10 to a few more than 10 to all the way to 613 and then all the commentaries break it down for us god we said break it down it's too unsettling to journey directly with you break it down for us and so god broke it down even to the point of emptying out god's own power So that God could live at our pace, in our skin, alongside us. God and God's graciousness was willing to break it down and get particular and be precise, to move in a form just as vulnerable as our own, to move at our own pace. But even as God became someone more comprehensible to us, someone we could touch more, the ways of God became more a part of our ordinary lives and practices. We became more intimate with them. Moses is also warning the people, don't let it get broken down so far that you forget to be afraid. Don't forget that within this Incarnation is a pillar of fire, is the foundations of the earth and everything that is made. Don't despise what you know and what is known to you. God is still clear and direct. Moses warns the people, don't start doing what other people do. Don't let this become so ordinary, so common. That it's all the same to you. Don't you notice how those who exploit other people, who live in the common way, which is a way of violence and selfishness and harm to others, don't you notice how God is removing them from the places of power? Don't you notice how God is unseating the rich and powerful and raising up the lowly? Don't forget that once you were slaves in Egypt and the power of God broke that institution and set you free. Don't forget that in the skin of the incarnation is also holy fire. In the book, My Grandmother's Hands by Razmaa Menachem, this person who has spent so much of their life learning about trauma and inherited trauma and working with people who sit on many sides of that life experience, draws to our attention how soothing is very important for the nervous system When we go on all alert, our body can do extraordinary things to save us, to deliver us from difficult experiences, but it also hurts. It also burns us up a little bit inside, and so it's not good for us to stay in that emergency mode for very long. It is important that we have ways of regulating, of calming down, of moving our bodies out of emergency mode and into something more ordinary, more day-to-day. But Menachem is also pointing out that because of our culture, many of us have learned how to soothe to the point of self-harm. That we have learned soothing as a panacea, as something that we can apply to everything, and that we believe makes everything better And so we walk ourselves into harm, into danger, into exploitation of others, into systems that are death-dealing, without any of our alarm bells going off. When we see other people in our midst who notice that something is wrong, we think they're the problem. And we say, if only they could be more calm if only they could get better at uh, articulating their concerns, and so they didn't aggravate people around them, not noticing that the aggravation, this, the disruption, is a sign of something powerful happening. It is a reasonable response to the conditions that are present. The fact is that there are many among us who are calling for change, who are having physical and emotional and ex- and spiritual responses to the things which are not right but have become normal whom we shush and try to soothe and so Resma Menachem points out that in this Um, navigation of trauma, not only is it important that we have the skills to move out of emergency mode for the sake of the health of our body, but also that we do not forget to pay attention to the signs, to listen to our body, our body. We have power that God has given us to make the world whole, and we don't want to miss the signs. Today also has a reading from Mark that is infused with meaning because of the reading from Deuteronomy. This is just after Jesus has called the disciples, and Jesus travels with them. It says... Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 21, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. The people there were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. I want to draw our attention to two parts of this reading. We've talked uh, throughout this Epiphany series about different ways that people behave and communicate. And those different ways... uh, broadly can be understood as differences in pace and differences in orientation where our att- whether our attention is oriented toward people or toward projects. We have acknowledged that there are those who see what's in the hearts of people easily. That they are attuned toward that. These are people who take their time and are oriented toward people, and so they have the capacity to recognize that, like Jesus seeing um, Nathaniel under the fig tree. We've also acknowledged that there are those who see the horizon and push us toward it, the visionaries, ones who can give direction. These are people who are generally faster-paced, bolder, And more oriented toward the goal than toward the persons, right? Personalities. But there are also those who test for the truth. Is this action, is this teaching consistent? Is it clear? Is it complete? Does it challenge us as it ought to? In the first part of this reading we hear how Jesus begins to teach and the people who are listening there are astounded by his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes so we know that there's a lot of scribes in this community people who literally pay attention to the letter of the law right these are the people who have held all the ways that God has broken down the I am yours and you are mine, and who steward those things for the people. And yet they are able to listen to Jesus, and in what Jesus is doing, they hear something more than just caring for the details of the law. They hear a kind of authority, a kind of knowledge and confidence that goes beyond focusing on on the laws themselves. It's in balance with the love from which the law was called forth. Jesus' teaching has authority because it is more about God than it is about us. In the second part of the reading, the reading where the unclean spirit has this huge reaction, it has this huge reaction because it can see beyond the graciousness of the incarnation to the pillar of fire. And to it, with this special sight, it is obvious. Whoa. What you are bringing into our midst could destroy everything we have built. For the unclean spirit, this is not good news. But for us, it's the best. Here's the question for us to carry forward. The unclean spirit is scared because it sees beyond the graciousness of the incarnation to the pillar of fire. Will others see the same when they see us? in the American Christian Church, there are many, many, many who are slower paced and oriented toward the project. Institution builders, people who make sure that the process is good and sound and correct. But it is a temptation when there are so many who are like this together when we are not diverse when our community is incomplete when we are not in balance with love we can become more focused on the laws themselves than the love from which they emerged Do we see beyond the graciousness of the incarnation to the pillar of fire? And do others see the same when they look at us?